Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we are back. Hey, we've got a fun show for you guys. We're going old school today. That's right. We're not talking about any news. Nope. We got kind of, frankly, tired of reading the headlines, so we're not going to be talking about that for a while. Mm-hmm. We'll tell you guys about anything that pops up that's relevant. You know, Obviously, we're paying attention to anything that happens in the real estate realm that's going to have a you know any sort of headwinds to your real estate business or any sort of, you know, tailwinds to your real estate business, we're always going to tell you. But for now, there really isn't anything new. So we're not going to try to just rehash what everyone else is talking about, which is most of real estate news. We're going to focus forward on um, a great, I think, mostly mindset series of podcasts. And this is a topic that, that Julie and I have been bantering back and forth for the past couple of weeks. And I think you guys are going to love it. So what the topic of today and probably tomorrow's show is going to be never, ever say these things to yourself. So this is a list. And I don't even know how many things we came up with, Julie. It's probably so many different things mm-hmm. that people say to themselves, mostly subconsciously, but without re- uh, realizing the unintended consequences of the, you know, of these thoughts. Yes. And so we're going to talk to you guys about each of these things, each of these things you should never say to yourself. And then we're going to give you some samples of essentially the unintended consequences of what a lot of, you know, a lot of you have, you know, been saying to yourselves forever as sort of a a never ending uh, loop of information that's having a surprisingly damaging effect on um, your ability to basically move forward, especially in in challenging times like this. So hopefully you like this content. We always have fun with the shows like this because we can tell you guys lots of stories. Oh, yes, that's right. And you should write this down on a piece of paper. That way you can punish yourself or have your children, your spouse, your team members when they catch you saying any of these things, either out loud or maybe they suspect you are because of your actions and remind you that you're not allowed to do this anymore because all of this will cost you money, it'll cost you stress and time, lots of different negative ramifications. So write it down. These are things you are never ever allowed to say to yourself or about yourself going forward. Here's one of the most common ones. I'm too busy. Right. I mean, that's something that people say all the time. All the time. I'm too busy. You know, I've got, frankly, Julie, that used to be your thing. Well, I'm too busy really means you're a crappy time manager. (laughs) Well, we can debate whether or not you can actually manage your time or not. But the reality of it is... But it's inefficient behavior, essentially. That's right. If you're feeling like the business is running you instead of you running the business. But also, isn't I'm too busy, essentially, the essence of it is someone's just trying to rationalize, procrastinating, doing what they don't want to do and they don't want to do at the highest level? Sure, absolutely. But wasn't that the reason that you did that? Well, um, depending on what the topic was, yes. I mean, it's creative avoidance for sure. And it's because society accepts that as an excuse too. That's right. You know, it's kind of the universal thing. Well, how many people are, how many books, how many like, you know, essentially genres of books were written just totally focused on time management, like you said, yeah. or trying to figure out how to do this, the other thing. It's just this sort of, you know, entire, uh, I would just wonder how many like professors and how many different psychological studies have all been done trying to help people maximize their time and prioritize their time. And I'll give you guys the easiest hack for doing that. There's three things. Number one, before the end of every day, 
do a brain dump. And a brain dump is just writing down everything in your, in your head. And we talk about this in our book, Harris Rules, mm-hmm. if you want more details. But yeah, but just, you know, that's number one. Number two, you'll go through your brain dump, the things you wrote down, and then put little red dots or stars, however you want to do it, around the things that will put you in a position to help people and make money. Those are your priority things. Now, notice when you're doing this brain dump exercise, how much interfused your personal is with your business. And if you leave those things intertwined, you're never going to basically be successful in business. So you have to do a brain dump primarily around your business uh, stuff. And then might do you might do another one around your, your personal. Or the first time you do it, if it's just all going on one long list, that's fine too. But then for the sake of essentially earning money and helping other people, make sure you prioritize the business ones first. So there you go. That's number one. And then it's all on the you know page and maybe you end up with 25 things or 250 things. Just keep on writing until there's no other to-do type items left in your head and then prioritize them. What are the things that are going to put you in a position to help people make the most money the quickest? Those are essentially, that'll cut through the ultimate filter. Those will, you know, that prevailing thought will cut through all the noise and really will focus you in on really what matters most. Next, after you've basically come up with your refined list of you know priorities, the next thing you're going to want to do is you're going to you know put it on a separate piece of paper, or Julie and I use dry erase boards, and write all those things down. And these are going to be the highest priority items that you're you know going to focus your energies on. You've given yourself permission. Maybe you keep those other things on the list of that you, when you're doing your brain dump, or maybe you just basically toss those things out because they're probably not even necessary to have in your head. But once you have the priority items listed out, and then you have them in front of you, and remember the priority items should be the things that are going to put you in a position to help others and make money the quickest. And by the quickest, I mean 90 days or less. So things that should not go on your list, especially this time of year, are going to be big art projects like websites and branding and all the rest of it. This is the wrong time to do that because you need to essentially be you know, focused on making money, especially after having what felt for many of us like 90 days forced vacation, you know, Mm -hmm. quote unquote with the word vacation because of the pandemic. And there's a really good chance, obviously, the pandemic is going to be coming back into the fall. Um, And who knows what your governor or your local, you know, city or whatnot, how they'll be treating it. So it's really incredibly important that you stay focused on the highest yield product uh, projects first, which again is whatever is going to put you in a position to help people make the most money the quickest. Now you have your big list. And now what you do is you go every single week and you pull out from your big list you pull out maybe three to five things that you're going to knock out that particular week or two to three things. So you're going to make it so that you can visually see as you're you know, progressing forward that yes, you can get things done. Yes, you do have enough time. Now we can talk endlessly and there's lots of interesting, like I said earlier, studies that show that most people who have jobs work essentially, actually work, work in, in their normal J-O-B for about two and a half hours a day. Mm-hmm. So assuming that the average agent works for about the same amount of time, which frankly, I'd be really surprised if they work the same amount of time, they probably work less. The reality of it is, is you have you know huge amounts of time and you just are essentially prioritizing other things that provide essentially probably an ease of, you know, there's no there's no uh, friction, right? You're not doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level enough of the time. When you're making your list, 
if you're really being honest about it, you're going to see most of the things that are on your list are the things you've been procrastinating, the things you'd rather not do, the thing, the very things that are going to put you in a position again to help the most people and make the most money the quickest. That's where your effort. That's where your primary efforts have to be every single day. Now, again, we talk endlessly in uh, our book Harris Rules, which is also available on an audiobook. So you can get that from Amazon. You can get that from Barnes and Noble. We've seen it for sale at bookstores, you know, airports and whatnot. But you can get the book. You can listen to all this, and you can really drill down and take your education to the next level. But really, what I'm hoping you understand is there is tons of time. You never not have enough time. You're just choosing to prioritize other things that are not putting you in a position to help you uh, help others and make money. So it's your choice to feel like you're time starved, and the reality of it is you're not. That's essentially the best way to cut through it. So don't say, start with never saying I'm too busy. So point number one is never say I'm too busy. Now, uh, point number two, and I'll say, you, you want to do point number two? Point number two, I am too old. Or some of you might say I'm too young. I'm too fat. I'm too thin. I'm That's too inexperienced. Right. I'm too much of a grizzled veteran. Whatever you choose for your go-to, it's not true as long as you are providing the highest level of service and helping your client. They don't care how old you are if you're doing a killer job for them. They don't care if you are, you know, look like you're 12 and you're a 21-year-old new licensee as long as you do a great job for them. So remove that excuse because that's definitely holding you back. There's absolutely nothing productive about that. So. I would I would say that the I'm too old aspect of it, mm-hmm. that's the most uh, you know pernicious thing that mm-hmm. people can actually say. And that's the one I personally hear the most when I talk to listeners yeah. and whatnot. They don't necessarily come out and say I'm too old, but you hear it in their voices. Mm-hmm. So when you're trying to talk, have a conversation, a coaching conversation or a coachee conversation, and you're trying to understand what they're looking forward to, and if they resist, if you guys resist, when I heard, if I were having that conversation with you, you're pushing back. You don't want to tell me what you're looking forward to. You, it's because you have started to subconsciously tell yourself that you're not capable of accomplishing anything. So you're choosing not to have things to look forward to because you don't want to ultimately disappoint yourself. And so it, that's a vicious cycle. It just It's essentially you know one of those wash, rinse, repeat type things where your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. And when you stop dreaming, when you start telling yourself that you're too old or frankly too young, then you're going to create that as your reality. And, you know, again, we talk about this in Harris Rules and there's been lots of studies that have been done on this. Julie, I, you mm-hmm. know, this, when I tell people this, this is usually the thing that really shocks people. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> excuse me, podcast listeners, I have a question for you. When do most people have their peak earning years? Like how old are they? And most of you, okay, I'll answer the question just to move it along. Most of you are going to guess in your 30s and your 40s, and that's not true. Most people do not have their peak earning until they're in their 50s. Well, of course it takes that long because it takes you that long to basically, you know, become somebody that's skilled enough or has a product that's worthy enough to essentially reward you with the, you know, financial benefits of having put in the time, right? And so it takes longer than you think. But if you're believing that, well, I'm too old, you know, Tim, look, I always wanted to, you know, whatever, go to Europe or, you know, buy a Ferrari or whatever it is, right? But I'm just too old, whatever you deem to be too old. And here's another little fascinating thing about too old. When Julie and I were, you know, we grew up in Ohio and then we've moved and, you know, traveled all over the country talking with a lot of you guys. And what's really was, I remember the first time, you know, Julia, I don't remember if you remember this with so much clarity. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time you and I went to Southern California, mm-hmm. right? And we were in our, how old were we? Early 30s, maybe 20s? Yeah, barely 30 probably. Yeah. And, and I remember being there and being shocked 
how A, there were so few fat people, (laughs) right? But B, how the people that were in their 40s and 50s did not act like the social norm there was not to act like the social norm was where we were from. And where we were from, when you reached a certain age, you know, the sweatpants came out and the, you know, the pounds came on and you just basically stopped expecting much of your life. And everyone around you, because that was a societal norm, reinforced at a certain sort of predetermined age or age bracket that you're just supposed to sort of start letting go. And it's fascinating to watch that, um, you know, if you start being aware of how your behavior, how you are following patterns of behavior that are essentially being reinforced by your environment, and then you start challenging yourself and moving or at least, you know, visiting other places in the country like I just described to you, you'll be shocked how bigger, Mm -hmm. brighter, and more amazing your life can be if you just essentially decide for it to be. So you're never too old. I, and, I remember I, I remember that trip noticing several times, not always the same guy, but like these 70-year-old dudes running on the beach that looked fantastic and were not, you know, dying when they were running. It was yeah. like, people can do that? That's interesting. You know, it was just, it's cultural. And there's other manifestations of that too. You know, when we traveled to Europe, everybody smoked. It was really, really gross, but it was a product of their environment because everybody did it. It was acceptable. And they probably didn't even think, you know, I wonder what would happen if I didn't smoke. So um, yes, the next one is, but what will they think of me? Yeah. Okay. So you got to remove that from your point, thinking because so that is ego. Do these in points, right? So that's okay, point number num- point number three is what will they think of me? Mm-hmm. So talk about that, Julie. Let's drill down. How yes. does that relate to basically real estate salespeople? Well, gosh, I hear that a lot when we're talking about anything that could be construed as prospecting or lead generation. What will they think of me? They're going to think I'm desperate for business. Right. You mean well, if you ask for business? If you ask for business, this is this is one of the most common places I see it. Right. What are they going to think of me? They're going to think I'm desperate. They're you know they're going to think nobody wants to work with me. That's your brain telling you that that's your ego trying to hold you back and and then you know even amongst our more experienced crowd you know what will they think of me when I go on an expensive listing and they ask me how many homes over a million dollars have sold what are they gonna think you know this is all pre-programmed negativity to get yourself out of doing something that you don't want to do but that in particular that prevailing thought of what will they think of me or I don't want to appear as or whatever it is that is one of the nastiest actual you know, things you can be telling yourself because really, again, what that is, it's your ego, but more specific, but specifically, it really is more procrastination Mm -hmm. of you not wanting to learn the skills necessarily to essentially be worthy of going after that more expensive listing. Mm -hmm. And none of these things are outside of your grasp. I mean, really guys selling, you know, a mobile home in the middle of nowhere, the skill set necessary is not that different than selling a, you know, $10 million house in some really expensive area. It's all basically the same thing. The sellers all ask the same questions. You guys might be shocked to know that, but it's true. You know, so the what will they think of me thing that I'll tell you where I really think that does the most damage is agents not doing lead follow up. Right. Mm -hmm. And you said it like, I don't want to be seeming I don't want to seem too pushy or I don't want to seem too desperate or like. So why wouldn't you call, for example, you know, a for sale by owner or why wouldn't you call an expired or why wouldn't you call your centers of influence and past clients and use some of our scripts 
to basically have these conversations where they're not going to have anything other than, you know, respect for you having the question, by the way, if you guys want to write this down, is after you've called and followed the pattern that we suggest you follow as part of our coaching and giving them market updates and letting them know what's going on. And again, this is all part of our coaching program. The way you end the call after you've, you know, had a little short conversation with them is by simply saying, oh, by the way, who do you know who's thinking about buying or selling that Mm -hmm. I should be helping, right? Yes. Isn't that a simple question? And and yet some of you, most of you won't ask it because you're worried that what? You'll seem too pushy. What will they think of me? That you'll seem yeah. too desperate. What will they think of me? That you'll seem like a sales piece person. Oh, what will they think of me? I know. And yet these are the agents that get really pissy when, when somebody who does know them lists or buys with somebody else and then they go, oh, I forgot you were in real estate. Yeah, exactly. You see how ironic that is? That you, you really can't have it both ways, right? So I always give them the example of, you know, if your friend opened up, you know, a new beauty salon and didn't tell you about it, isn't that weirder than if they called you to say, hey, I just want to let you know I opened a new salon. Come on by. So you guys see how there's a combination of things going on here with this particular podcast where we're combining skills, but we're also combining why you will or won't apply the skills that we're teaching you. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's different, it's a Maslow, Abraham Maslow. He talks about the four levels of learning mm-hmm. and the four levels of learning are, oh, Julie's being quizzed. Will she remember them? Level one. <laughs> uh, unconscious incompetence. Level two. Conscious incompetence. Level three. Un- uh, let's see. Conscious competence. And then four. Unconscious competence, which all do sound the same. You have to really yeah. break it up and think about what you're talking about. But the first one yeah. is is where you guys don't know that you don't know, right? That's right. the first one. And the second one is where you basically, and these are, this is when most people sign up for coaching, right? Yes. So you go from not knowing that you don't know anything or don't know what you think you know. You don't know what you don't know, basically. Mm-hmm. And then you get kicked in the head a few times and don't get business or people you know, choose to work with someone else other than you. Something and then, ouchy happens. Something ouchy, exactly. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, well, maybe I don't know what I don't know. And then you are willing to set your ego aside and be receptive to learning new things. That's when you join coaching. That's when we have coaches, you know, people that are very successful uh, quickly as coaching clients. The Mm -hmm. ones that are the toughest are the first ones. The ones that want to stay mired in essentially being blissfully ignorant. The Mm -hmm. ones that are essentially wanting to be professional and be of service to other people. Those are the ones that start to listen. And if you're interested in learning more about our coaching program, you can obviously go to our website, timandjulieharris.com, or you can just text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. Text the word Harris to 31996. We do have a, um, a way for you guys to get into coaching. And you'll learn more about this when you talk with one of our new member coaches, where you can join the coaching program for only basically $100 per month. But I want you to text the word Harris to 31996. And when you do, you're going to be essentially amazed about how much essential, well, you get a daily semi-private coaching call, you get listing presentations done, you get all the scripts you could possibly imagine, you get sample ads, you anything you can ever conceive of that you need in your real estate business. And about, you know, five or 600 pre-recorded coaching calls by right. topic. Videos on how to do BPOs, um, you know, our REO content is within Premier Coaching, everything is there. So if you're interested in learning more about uh, our coaching program, it's called Premier Coaching, and all you have to do is text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. All right, point number five, I believe. Four. One, two, three, four. Oh, yes, you're right, four. This one is really nasty, and this is the one I grew up with, frankly. Um, I hate this one, and when I hear it from somebody else, even a stranger, I, I, I know I cringe. I probably have, but it's I can't afford that. 
When you start saying, I can't afford that, that is going to make it so you won't ever be able to afford anything. Mm -hmm. Because what you're saying to yourself when you say, I can't afford that, yes, there's the practical nature of it. You just might not have the money. But the better thing to say yet is that I have, I will, I'm going to buy that or invest in that after I help enough people, right? There's the correlation again. Remember, we always preach to you guys about this. If you don't have the lifestyle you want, if you don't have the things you want, you know, if you don't have the, everything you want, the health, the, the wealth, the life experiences, it's simply because you have yet to accept there's a direct correlation, a direct relationship between the number of people you help solve, you know, you solve other people's problems. In other words, you help them buy or sell real estate and the amount of the other aspects of life that you're, you know, frankly, you're able to enjoy. So if you're not living the life that you want, it's because internally you haven't made the connection between being of service to other people and ultimately, you know, enjoying a higher quality of life in, in all regards. So just think about that. So when you say, I can't afford that, what you're really doing is you're shutting yourself off to learning how you can earn the money to afford whatever it is that you set your... Yeah, what you're actually saying is I've chosen not to make the effort to work at a higher level so that I can have what I actually secretly want. But that I can't afford that too is also no. a poverty mindset. Sure, it's also it's scarcity. a mind scarcity. Mm -hmm. And so the, the sort of the rabbit hole you go down when you say I can't afford that, it there is no bottom to it. And it's really scary. And again, that's a, you know, it's definitely something that I was raised with saying, oh, you know, can we buy this? Can we buy that? No, we can't afford that. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. Well, the older I got, the more I realized was we probably could if, you know, maybe, you know, my parents had earned more money, right? Or, you know, when I was old enough to get a paper route and I was old enough to start moving snow off driveways and all the rest of it, I started doing it because I didn't want to say that. And so when I wanted something, I would, as a little kid, I would save up the money and buy it. I remember when, you know, it was time to go back to school and uh, my parents didn't have money to buy us uh, going back to school clothes. So we would go to church basements because it used to be that's where donations were dropped off in church basements and the churches would give the clothes away that were donated to them for free. So we'd go there. But eventually, as I got older, I didn't want to wear used clothes because I had plenty of used clothes. So I would, as a little kid, I would go out and start working. And this is when I was probably 10, 11, right in there, so that I could essentially buy my own clothes so that I have going back to school clothes. And that's what I did every summer. So that was something that was my little kid way and my little kid brain of never having to live the I can't afford that lifestyle because what I can't afford that really is, it goes back to that same word. It's procrastination. I can't afford that is another way of saying I'm unwilling to learn how to help more people and I'm unwilling to basically make the effort to learn how to solve other people's problems in, you know, in such a way that it'll get to the point where I'll have everything I want in life in abundance. Do you guys get that? So when you hear yourselves, and don't pass that along to your children either. Don't say, I can't afford that. I can't afford that is the hard stop to your potential. I can't afford that is the reason why you start giving up in life because you start believing you can't afford that. Isn't I can't afford that, doesn't that really mean I'm not worthy of what I want? Isn't that the subconscious connection that you guys make when you say, I can't afford that? I'm not worthy of whatever it is, that experience that I want to have. Or the, you know, essentially the, the lifestyle I want. Choose whatever words you want to use, right? And never forget, guys, we're spiritual beings in physical incarnations. That's just the real bottom line if you want to cut through it. Because I know a lot of people, and again, this is how I was raised too, There's you're almost taught to have a conflict with physical you know, with stuff. Like materialism is bad and you shouldn't want this, shouldn't want the other thing. Well, why? Why is that? Why would that be true? 
I'm not saying excessive amount of materialism. I'm not suggesting, you know, some sort of, you know, crazy off the hinge, you know, off the mark love of stuff. I'm not suggesting that. But why would materialism be something evil or in any way undesirable to want nicer things? It doesn't even make sense, right? Intellectually, it doesn't. But yet, so many of you were, you know, given that same faulty code, the software that your heads were loaded with, that caused you to actually start believing that materialism as some, you know, materialism, even the word, there's there's so much con- uh, emotional conflict with people about that. So here's the bottom, you know, way, bottom line way to decode what materialism is. You're a spiritual being in a physical incarnation. You need shoes. You need, you know, physical manifestation. You need food. You need a house. You need a car. You need a computer. You need, you know, all the things that you need, right? These are things that are necessary for you just to literally survive. So you might as well have those things be really nice things, right? Why not? Why would you settle for church basement clothes when you could just put a little effort in? And in my case, as a little kid, it was going moving snow off driveways, right? So I was helping people get out their front doors, pull their cars out of their garages and go to work. So I was helping them. They were paying these typically $5 per driveway, right? So that was my way of being of service to other people. And with that money, I was able to basically go buy what I wanted, right? Same thing with you guys. This is all basic stuff, right? You know this. This is like 101. And yet, how many of you continuously say to yourselves, I can't afford that, right? Isn't that interesting? It's fascinating. So you might know, you might be saying, oh, Tim, I knew all this. And yet, how many of you right now are in conflict with just preventing yourself from saying, I can't afford that? Okay, here's what happens on the other side of it. If you decide to stop saying that, if you decide that you're no longer going to believe that you can't afford that, and you're going to you know, remove that from your vocabulary, the other side of that could be a lot of fear and panic because then you're going to start saying, okay, if I'm not going to say that anymore, and I'm allowed to start dreaming big, and I'm allowed to start thinking about what I truly want in life for myself and my family, then I'm going to have to figure out how to earn it, right? Isn't that interesting? Is that where some of you went? I guarantee you some of you went there. So as soon as you go from the, I'm never going to say that, uh, I can't afford that again, and I'm going to well, you start dreaming big and allowing myself to, you know, absolutely positively have the highest quality of life I can on this planet, right? You only live once, you're dead a real long time. So you've accepted that. That's who you're going to be. That's what you're going to do. Was the next emotion after the excitement, was it fear? Because you you don't want to, you know, start wanting things that you're going to tell yourself you can't accomplish. You see how you start being pulled back down that rabbit hole again? Here's the solution. Here's the way to stop that so you don't basically go back in your rabbit hole and start thinking that you can't afford that. You can. You can absolutely in real estate right now, especially because of the changing market. Be of service to as many people as you allow yourself to be as long as you've earned the right to be of service to them. By meaning, by that I mean obviously having the skill set needed to help solve their problems. And if you don't have that skill set, if you're still trying to essentially bring back the old normal from, you know, 120 days ago, you're not going to be relevant. You won't be able to afford what you want. And your fear of not accomplishing the things you set your mind to will actually happen because the marketplace isn't willing to pay you the amount of money needed for you to accomplish all those things you've set for yourself because you are not the person or you know, you're not in a position to solve other people's problems. That's it. So when you see somebody with more stuff, a higher quality life, it's because they have earn the right to be of service to enough other people in helping them solve their problems. That's it. It's not more complicated than that. And I hope you guys will take away from that a sense of freedom 
Because on the other side of that thought is the realization that the only thing that's standing in your way is essentially learning how to be of service to other people, which you can do. And you have to do urgently because the market is changing so quick. And I think you guys were all, all starting to feel that. Stop telling yourself it's a crazy seller's market. What we're experiencing is a death rattle of the seller's market. And we're going to be entering into a completely different market. Read the posts we have on Tim and Julie Harris. Read, Listen to our podcast from last week when we were talking about um, the, the distressed real estate, you know, REOs and short sales and BPOs. Start paying attention to the market that's going to be coming up because in that market, the relationship-based agent is going to get wiped out. The skills-based agent is going to dominate. Which are you going to be? By relationship, I mean those of you, which is most of you, who've been able to get your business from centers of influence and past clients. And you know, there's a good percent of you who've been buying all your business on the buyer side of the conversation. Very, very, very few of you in the last 12 to 14 years have ever actually learned the skills because for the most part, it wasn't necessary. You did not know, have to know how to deal with you know, owners in um, markets where the prices were falling. You did not have to deal with buyers in markets where the prices were falling. You did not have to deal with a recession, let alone whatever the hell this is going to be historically remembered as, right? Maybe a depression. You did not have to deal with any of that, so you've never had to learn those skills. You did what was necessary in the previous market to hopefully succeed at a high level in the previous market, but now all the rules are changing. And yet, how many of you are still holding on with your fingernails to the belief that the old rules that you had to follow in order to be successful in the last market will be relevant in this market? Why are you doing that? What's the point? Because it goes back to the limiting belief that you don't have the capacity, which is going to be a future point, right? To actually adapt and to change. Your belief is, and your ego is trying to reinforce the idea that you can only be successful in a certain type of market, a seller's market. Our entire real estate industry, that's what it's predicated on. That's the reason the industry hates talking about a changing market, let alone a buyer's market, because it the, the changing market and the buyer's market requires skills, and the industry knows that so few agents will take the time to get the skills. Whereas in a seller's market, where listings mostly sell themselves, price, condition, location being taken into consideration, obviously, and you have buyers standing in line because of low interest rates and the economy, basically people are employed, that is like the best case scenario for housing. Now, guys, we're entering into the worst case scenario for housing. All these people that are predicting there's not going to be correction in pricing, the only reason why there wouldn't be a precipitous drop in pricing and home values is because of the very proactive government intervention with regards to things like you know mortgage forbearances and things of that nature. And what do I think about that? I think, frankly, I love keeping people in their houses. Honestly, I would much rather not see precipitous drop in housing prices. Money aside and you know, unintended consequences aside, the destruction to families when you basically, you know, people lose their houses, that can last generations. So look, if we got to, you know, essentially reshuffle the deck a little bit um, in order to basically slow the, essentially the, I don't know, even know what you want to call it, guys, because all the words that pop into my mouth uh, my mind might sound a little bit too dramatic, but in order to allow the bubble to lose some of the uh, overinflation that's been happening with property values, there's going to be some pain. But if it wasn't for all the government intervention that is absolutely going to take place, it would be probably worse than last time. So when these people are saying, when you read articles like there's not going to be any kind of foreclosure crisis or like there was before, 
They're right. There won't be. But there's still going to be lots of distressed property, but the distressed property is going to be managed. So it's going to be let back on the market for a longer, over a longer period of time. But here's what that creates. This is the unintended consequences of what I'm already seeing to take place. And we're writing articles about this on our website, timandjulieharris.com. And again, remember what side of the argument I'm falling on. Um, but the reality of it is by not allowing the market to correct, by keeping people in their homes that aren't making payments, what you're going to do is you're going to cause prices to stay to continue to fall because of the uncertainty for a longer period of time. Again, I don't want there to be a rush to, uh, to market like this time next year when all these forbearances run out. If unemployment rates are still high, if all these other you know factors in the economy start to really uh, become worse, which they appear to be, then you're going to be looking at a lot more people that can't afford their houses, but they're not going to be booted out. They're going to be given forbearances and there's going to be workouts and there's going to be all these zombie homes where some of them are going to be, you know, the houses are going to be, um, the payments are going to be current. Some houses will be paid off, but a lot of houses, people are going to be in these little sort of hybrid workout programs, which will keep them in their homes, which I think frankly overall is the best thing. But that's going to cause, again, a longer-term housing crash or a longer-term housing correction, whichever word you want to use, whichever word you're comfortable with. But you're going to have to then, as a result, know how to solve a multitude of problems. Right now, when you walk into a seller's house, assuming most of you have had that experience of you know, competing for a listing, it's not really that difficult. It's essentially, you know, the house is going to sell itself. The seller knows it's a crazy seller's market. The seller can overprice it. You can overprice it um, with skills. You don't have to, you know, you can uh, provide the marketing that they're expecting and the all the things that we teach you in the coaching program, right? And then you take the listing. And so that's the reason a lot of you that have centers of influence and past client type relationships, that's where you get your leads primarily. You can be successful in a hot seller's market just with that skill set because of the fact that the sellers aren't that particular who they list with because they know the house is going to sell the, sell itself. And they have equity and they, they're looking forward to moving up their next house and things flow easier, no doubt. And what you're going to deal with in this new market is, again, agents who are centers of influence and past clients focused, they're going to walk into the same listing presentation and the seller's going to have a host of financial problems. Maybe they're underwater in their house already. In other words, they owe more than it's worth. Or maybe they're going to be underwater once they sell the house, paying your commissions. You know, and it, guys, the nature of a market like this is it's going to prevent, it presents so many different little um, you know, gyrations and iterations of the same problem that you really have to be skilled or you're going to walk into that house with these people that you love, 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 centers of influence, past clients. You're going to realize that they're in, they have you know several different predicaments going on all at the same time. The house has to be sold, but you won't get the listing because you won't know how to solve their problem. That's the market that we're coming into. Now, think about it on the other side. All you guys that have focused on buyers, which is a lot of you, how many of these teams and brokerages are predicated on essentially buying buyer leads, right? What does that world look like a year from now if what we're saying is true, if what all the experts now are sort of leaning towards with regards to the housing market as far as their predictions? If it's all true, next year, totally different housing market. Those of you guys who are working with buyers, let's say you now have to basically sell to the buyer why they should use you and pay your commission that was being paid before by the seller. There are going to be some markets where exactly what I just said is going to happen. Some of the bigger markets, buyer's agents are going to have to start literally having a presentation and explaining to the, uh, the buyer why the buyer should pay the commission. Right now, you've gotten so used to 
the seller paying your co-op, right? What if the co-op now is no longer just an entitlement of the transaction? What if the co-op is something that you have to, there is no co-op basically. What if the new way of working things is you're gonna have to basically explain to that buyer why you're worth the fee that you're you know, gonna charge them to help them buy a house. And you guys can see how that's gonna put a massive, massive amount of stress on the buyer side transactions because most of the buyer's agents aren't going to be able to sell to the buyer why they're worth 3% or 2% or whatever they're gonna to try to charge. And the buyers will go directly to the sellers, the listing agents, and that's where this market is going to most likely head because of the downward pressure on property values. People are gonna start pinching real estate commissions more than they ever had before. Not everywhere, not in every market, but I can already see that that's gonna take place. It started to take place in the last market, but the down market last time lasted about three years and things started to pick up again. So that wasn't necessary because why? The buyers uh, were anxious to buy a house and they were fearful of losing out and the sellers didn't really care because they knew the house was appreciating. So that kind of you know put a reprieve on sort of these crafty ways that these quote unquote tech companies are trying to squeeze us. But all that's going to come back again. And what are you going to do? How are you going to compete? You shouldn't be afraid because here's ultimately what a market like this creates. And I'll use a big global perspective on this, right? In the history of history, going all the way back to, you know, recorded history, the first cave drawings of, you know, man and wherever, right? Africa or, you know, Middle East, that kind of thing, right? The greatest fortunes and the greatest, you know, names, the greatest families that we still think of today that go back thousands of years, they obtained their greatness, if you want to call it that, during what would have been historically, uh, what is historically seen as the greatest times of change. So if you, in other words, the greatest fortunes in the history of man have always been made during the greatest times of change. We are in one of those greatest times of change now. Do not doubt it. So where does that leave you? If you choose to stop giving yourself all this negative self-talk, you're then going to have the epiphany, like maybe never before, like the first time you fell in love, that kind of powerful emotion that this is your time. You may have been waiting and sort of treading water and maybe you're just, you've gotten used to just getting by or just whatever's going on in your life. But now you are going to be one of the, you know, you're going to be one of the people now who are realizing that because of this market, you can be in a position to help more people if you earn the right to help them through having the skill set necessary. You guys, are you understanding where I'm coming from? This is the reason why you should be excited about this market. Because maybe before you weren't able to compete. Maybe before there were so many people that had unfair advantages. Like I know very well from having sold real estate that if you start selling real estate and there's a well-entrenched number one agent and you know listing agent is what I'm talking about here. That's what we focus on. And maybe a well-entrenched two and three. And typically the way it works when you look at different areas is you'll see a number one agent who's going to have, you know, usually twice, if not three times the transactions as the two and three agents. And two and three agents, the number two and number three agent, they're usually basically tied for transactions. And then the number one agent is like so far uh, past them in terms of production that you can't really, like, if you wanted to break into a market like this, you're going to have to pick up the breadcrumbs from, you know, one, two, and three. That's a tough market. And a lot of you guys have experience trying to pick up business in markets like that, right? I mean, Julie and I had to do that when we got into real estate. And all the markets we went to, we had to break in. And I'll tell you the way you do it, through skills. Because what a lot of time happens, a lot of times happen, are those agents don't keep their skills sharp. They don't know how to solve a multitude of problems. They walk into the seller's house with their toolbox, 
with their same tools they've walked into for the last 15 or 20 years, and the seller now has unique problems in the tools they have in that toolbox, you know, won't help them. How did we sell in our early 20s over 100 houses our first year? Because we were willing to learn what other people weren't willing to do because they'd gotten complacent. They'd gotten lazy. They basically decided, you know, they had the market figured out. They, you know, they're going to sell their 100 or 200 or 300 houses every year no matter what. And no one's going to disrupt that. Well, we did. And a lot of our coaching clients have over the last, you know, two decades because they've adapted and they've applied the same skill set that we had to learn. That's what coaching is all about. Coaching should not be about just raw, raw, making you feel good. That's important. But the real way you want to feel good is because you've helped people. When you help people, you're going to feel good because you're going to see the results of having helped people. (laughs) If you want real motivation, that's where it comes from. It comes from the other side of having the pride of knowing that you're a true professional, not just somebody who has to buy their business. You know, not just someone who has to, you know, fake it, right? Forever and ever. Not just someone who has to hope and pray that somehow they're going to get a referral or someone's going to sell them a buyer lead that actually will close. When you are confident because you have the skill set to be a proactive lead generator, but also you have the skill set to help solve a multitude of problems, you're like Superman or Superwoman, right? There, there's nothing that can get to you. There is no kryptonite. It doesn't exist because you have the confidence and the skill set. That's true mindset. Just focusing on your mindset and your big why and wondering why you aren't doing you know, all these other wondering type thoughts, that is a waste of time. Everything you want in life is the other side of doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. That for you right now, I promise you, is learning the skills that you need to learn. I encourage you strongly to text the word Harris to 31996. And we're going to text you back um, several books. And we're also going to text you back an opportunity to speak with one of our new member coaches about joining our coaching program. Text the word Harris to 31996. In the meantime, guys, thank you for all the great reviews on iTunes and Stitcher on Spotify. Thank you for all the great reviews on our book on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. I, I haven't looked today, but I think you know we're approaching like 400 five-star reviews on Amazon. That's fantastic. I sincerely and sincerely appreciate that. Um, and I really, you know, honestly, it... it it really does touch Julie and I's heart that we are being chosen by tens of thousands of you every single day to be in your lives and be in your minds and, and have the influence on you that we hope to earn the right to have, right? Because we had to earn the right to have you listen to us because we had to learn how to be of service to you because if you listen to this podcast, or you read our book, or you join our coaching program or all the other ways we connect with you and there's no value there, you're not going to give us the time of day. But obviously we're offering tremendous amount of value or we wouldn't be as successful in this space as we are. I'm not bragging, guys. I'm just saying we're living the exact life of the, you know, that comes from the thoughts that we're sharing with all of you. Hopefully that resonates with you. Hopefully I didn't raise the cackles of your ego and hopefully you're willing to actually move forward and realize, guys, and I mean this, this is an amazing thought, but it is true. In my entire real estate career, which is 25 years, right? I'm, I'm 50. You know, it's a little. It's probably more like 27. Actually, Julie and I bought our first investment property when I was 23 and she was 22. So yeah, it's more than 25 years. Okay, I have never ever seen a time where caring, competent, and skilled agents have been in so much in need. We've said that you know forever, like yeah, that's what real estate's about. But I've never seen a time like this. And for you, if you're waiting for, if you've been waiting in any form of waiting, right, mentally, emotionally, financially, 
for the time to be right or for you to feel like you have a true purpose in life or just whatever, whatever it is that's in your head that's been keeping you at the starting gate. Right now is it. We, we absolutely are going to be experiencing so much change in such a short period of time that if you, first of all, you got to put your own mask on first. You got to take care of yourself, right? You got to do the things that, you know, we suggest you do in our coaching program. But after that, everywhere you turn, everywhere you look, every person you run into is going to be a potential real estate client. Every single person around you is going to need the, you know, the reassurance of someone who com- basically can have conversations about real estate that's going to be skills-based. Not just the typical bullshit answers that agents say, how's the market? It's a great time to buy or sell. You know, something that's actually going to be substantive, something that's going to be of value. These are the things we teach you in the coaching program, guys. These, This is the reason why you got into real estate. There's virtually none of you that are listening that are saying to yourself, I just got into real estate to make money. I know that was a motivation, but the ultimate reason you got into real estate, if you cut through it, was because you want to feel like you're the person that is of value to you know thousands of other people. Start with dozens and go to hundreds and go to thousands because that makes you feel amazing. Knowing you helped other people makes you feel incredible because that is your highest, truest purpose on this planet, right? So to wrap up, up today's show, the topic again was never say these things to yourself. And I told you guys we'd be, Julie and I would find lots of things to vamp on along with these points. So uh, we got through point number four and we're going to be moving on to point number five tomorrow. In the meantime, if you guys need me for anything, if you want to talk about joining our EXP uh, Realty family, if you want to join with Julie and I because we are part of EXP Realty, please do feel free to text me at 512-758-0206. We actually, it's kind of a surprise, we were just named um, one of the top four, uh, maybe it was five groups at EXP to be sponsored by. So if you're trying to choose or tr- you're getting into the you know EXP world and you're realizing this is a, the move you're going to make, because I am confident that 90% of you guys out there are going to at least take a hard look at EXP Realty, if not join, because it's the most logical thing that all of you can be doing for, your, for yourself on so many different levels. Look at a, a don't get... Don't treat brokerage as a religion. It's not. You've got to be thinking, especially in a market like this, where you want to be financially you know, because of this market. And EXP is literally built for a market like this. It's incredible. I'm so freaking thrilled that you know a year and a half, a year and a half ago, Julie and I decided to align with EXP because I cannot believe, I wouldn't have guessed that a pandemic would happen, let alone a global depression. But here we are, and EXP is growing by leaps and bounds. I mean, this company, it's so inspirational to be around so many people that are focused on the right thing, being of service to other people. And, you know, when you focus on that and you focus on the fact that, you know, this is not a market to be scared of, then you start attracting other like-minded people. And when you put all those people together, I have to tell you, it's so incredibly uplifting. And that's really what EXP Realty has become. It's just a phenomenal brand to be associated with. If you guys want to talk to me about that directly, feel free to text me at 512-758-0206. And yes, that's my real cell phone number, 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206, sorry. So go ahead and text me if you guys are ready to have the EXP conversation. I'd love to have it with you. Love to discuss why you will probably want to join EXP with Julie and I's group. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day and we'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, 
visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.